Welcome to VPG's virtual water cooler chat podcast, where we share lessons and stories of women professionals to help empower other women and expand a greater circle of influence. So we walk our journey with those who understand and appreciate us. Today, we are going to chat with Kakoli Caprihan. Kakoli Caprihan is an associate solicitor in the Office of the Solicitor at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. USPTO. In her role, Kakoli defends decisions of the USPTO in cases before the district courts and the Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit. Kakoli also represents the USPTO in interagency deliberations on important intellectual property cases, including cases before the Supreme Court. Before joining the solicitor's office, Kakoli worked in private practice at Greenberg Traurig LLP and Finnegan Henderson Faribault Garrett and Dunner LLP. Kakoli received her BS in biochemistry from the University of New Mexico and her JD from the George Washington University Law School. Good afternoon, Kakoli. How are you doing? So great to have you here with us this afternoon. Thank you, Ashley. It's so great to be here. Thank you again for inviting me for this chat. Oh, you know, this is my pleasure. And um, I've been really looking forward to this too. So have I. We worked, I guess we work at the same firm, but never really worked together. So this is a fun project for us to collaborate. I am really glad that you accepted and said yes. (laughs) Thank you for having me. So first of all, can you tell us a little bit about Gatley? And let us know the journey of you becoming a patent attorney. Sure. So I think, as you've mentioned, with my background, I studied biochemistry in college. And with studying biochem, I had every intention, like so many other students studying biochemistry, to go to medical school. That was the plan. That was my goal. That was what I had intended to do um, with my journey. And so... That was my plan. And I studied biochem. I worked in a lab part-time. I then took the MCAT and applied to medical school. And I applied to the state college that I attended for undergrad because they had a great medical school program. The tuition was reasonable. And my plan was just to settle in New Mexico, where I'm from. And so I applied and was waitlisted. And all of a sudden, my plan was out the window. I mean, you know, it wasn't a a permanent thing. I could have reapplied to medical school, but it definitely changed my perspective on what my future might hold. And so at that point, I had no plan because I had no, you know, future intention of attending graduate school. So I had this time off where I got a job. And the first job I got, out of college was working on a congressional campaign, which had nothing to do with my background. (laughs) And it came about only because someone I had met working at a lab was actually running the congressional campaign that was occurring in my hometown. And so I took this job as the assistant financial director for this campaign. And what I did was I ran fundraising events for this person running for Congress. So it was completely out of you know, out of the realm of what I thought I would be doing. But it introduced me to a lot of people and it got me interested in what was going on in Washington, D.C. So 
I was thinking about what else I could do. Um, and then the election came, the candidate lost the election narrowly, but narrowly lost the election. So that journey was then over and I still had you know, time on my hands. So then I got a job at a pharmaceutical company and working in a research lab. So that was more attuned with what I had studied in undergrad, but still not really what I wanted to do with my life. And working on the congressional campaign had introduced me to all of these people who worked in DC. So that was always sort of running in the back of my head of, oh, I, I, I want to get to DC. And so then I decided I really, I really wanted to go to graduate school, but I wasn't sure what kind of graduate school I wanted to go to. So on a whim, I took the LSAT, I took the GRE, and I decided to go to law school because I had done well on the LSAT. And so it was just sort of serendipitous that I ended up at law school. It wasn't a plan. I had never wanted to be a lawyer. I didn't even really know what lawyers did. My whole conception of the law was from TV shows. I mean, watching Law and Order, that was really, that was sort of the background I had as to what a legal career entailed. And so I really didn't know what I was doing, but I knew that I wanted to end up in DC. But I had this biochemistry background and my father, who is a research scientist, said, look, you know, an option open to you is patent law. And he introduced me to his patent lawyer and I talked to him and it seemed like a really good fit. I was going to be able to use some of my scientific knowledge and work on issues that were cutting edge in, the, in that technology, but also combine it with a legal degree and, and looking at these issues from a legal aspect. So it sounded really interesting. I ended up applying and getting into GW Law School in D.C., and moved to DC and attended law school. And then, you know, my journey started really, like the current journey. And so I then worked at an intellectual property boutique law firm, which is where you also worked at Finnegan Henderson, where I really gained a lot of experience litigating in the pharma patent field, um, mostly focusing on district court litigation. And I worked there for quite a number of years. And then I decided I wanted a new experience. So I joined a general practice law firm. I was their second hire in their IP group, in their patent group. And they were really looking to expand a DC presence for their patent litigation group. And so I, along with the other partner that was hired at the time, we hired additional associates and started the group. That was really interesting. It was a completely different side of patent law because it was more of the business side of developing a practice. So really it was us looking to find new work in terms of growing the practice in DC, but also getting work from other attorneys and other offices around the country and just trying to build a practice. So I did that for about three years. And what I found was I was doing more business development rather than the actual practice of law. And the other thing that changed in my life was that I had two young kids and with all the business development also came a lot of travel. So I decided I really wanted a job where I could uh, not only really practice patent litigation, but also be home more. And that's when I started looking for jobs within the federal government. I had a lot of friends that worked at the solicitor's office at the US Patent and Trademark Office they really made the job sound so incredible. 
So when an opportunity arose to apply for a job there, I immediately grabbed it and interviewed and got the job. And I haven't looked back. It's been such an exciting experience to work here. So I've really enjoyed it. I've been here for quite a number of years now, but it's still exciting. It's still new. There's still new issues that we deal with. So um, that's really how my journey went from going from biochem to law. Wow. That has a lot of uh, twists and turns. <laughs> yes. It definitely wasn't a straight path. <laughs> you know, I, I will have to applaud you for your spirit of being very adventurous. The fact that you are like trying so many different things and allowing yourself to explore. I really applaud you for that, you know, pioneer spirit. I mean, I wouldn't have really meet you if you went to the medical route. Right. It's funny that you see it as adventurous because when you had sent me some topics to think about, and one of the things I had thought about was how I actually wish I had been more of a risk taker earlier in my career because I did spend quite a number of years at the first law firm that I worked at, and I never really thought beyond that. I didn't realize there were so many different types of jobs within our field, right? I mean, there are government jobs, there are consulting jobs, there are in-house jobs, there are law firm jobs. There's just so many different types of jobs that you can have with a patent law degree and with a undergrad degree that's in a science or engineering field or some kind of technical degree. You know, I like that you think that I'm adventurous, but I actually think I'm not much of a risk taker. So I think that's one of the things I'm really trying to work on is trying to be, be more open to the new things that can come up in your life. I think it also comes with the legal industries, you know, because I do think that we tend to be a lot more risk averse. Yes, definitely. So, I mean, it's just what the practice does, right? And one of the things that, for example, I'll tell you, like, when I studied, <laughs> I was a poli-sci major. Uh-huh. And um, I came to D.C. mostly because I wanted to go work for a fintech. And wow. then I, I, yeah, I know <laughs> that probably doesn't pay anything. And um, so I started at a private research firm and it was something that I thought, oh, wow, this is going to be something that I really wanted to do. It ended up having a little bit more PR, like public relations type of uh, flavor that I did not quite like because I wanted to do more research. And then I decided that it was not for me. And I think that I took the risk of like not having another job lined up. I just quit. That is the biggest risk you can take. I mean. Yeah, exactly. Because, well, at the time I was like much younger and I asked, I recall that I asked my professors and one of my professors who's, um, he's a law professor. He was like, you might want to have another job lined up. I mean, I was like 20 something at the time. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. That would be conventional wisdom. And usually he would tell me nothing, venture, nothing gain. But there was another professor, like a historian, actually, and he used to work for the CIA, for uh, foreign, mm-hmm. me- foreign media analysts. So it's a branch of CIA. And he actually gave me a different advice. He was like, if you're not happy, you just got to go. <laughs> no, this is not the advice that you should be giving me. <laughs> I wanted that advice. And I'm like, okay, well, then I started to like, find something that I wanted. And I decided that, oh, maybe I'll just do temping. The temp agency sent me to a wrong assignment. And that's how I got started in the legal profession. Wow. And I know it was not nothing again, but it was how I started as a project analyst. And then at the time, 
my um, office manager really liked mm-hmm. me. And uh-huh. so she was like, do you have any intention of pursuing work in law? I'm like, no, not really. Because I already have a master's degree, you know, and I had the master in East Asian languages and cultures. Right. So they go like, but why did you not tell us that you have that? I'm like, your job is not required. But it's so useful. <laughs> like the people were asking, like, I remember my mentor, um, the office manager told my mentor that you need to meet this woman, which is me. So I was like right. working and then I was like, hi, I am, you know, Mike Lulakis or something something like that. And that's that's his name. And he right. is um he's a design build project, uh design build expert. He now has his own consulting company. So he's one of the mentors that I have. And he came to the office and he goes like, Nancy said that I should meet you. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, what about? <laughs> I don't think I really told that story to many people. Definitely uh-huh. not the person, I mean, not the people in offense. They probably know some of this. Know some of it. Yeah, but it's like sometimes it's like during doing this podcast, it brings back so much memory. It was like, how did you guess that? Right. Oh, probably by accident. And then, so I'm still in touch with my mentor. And uh-huh. uh, he actually was like, wow, you really come a long way. And we only meet once a year for uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving, like lunch or something like that, and just to catch up. And between 2022 and 2023, we actually met multiple times because I think that he was really proud of me for all the stuff that I was doing. But like part of it is really difficult to adjust from our profession that is like right. everything you have to like dot your eyes cross your teeth right you know think about now as a small business owner it's like you want to set your boundaries but you don't want to upset your clients or right. just so many things that I'm learning right now and part of it is that one of the mentor not particularly that one but the other professor that said to me the law, law professor was like nothing venture nothing gain so I kind of instilled those beliefs. And that's one of the reasons why I decided, oh, I'm going to start a podcast. <laughs> no wow. about it. But <laughs> I have a team that actually can figure stuff out, right? Right. And that's what we rely on the team. And part of it is such an amazing journey to see women professionals and their stories behind their success. There's Sometimes there's a lot of struggle. Like nobody knew that I was like, oh, you know, you have a master's degree, but why why did you not tell us? It was not required. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? I mean, do you ever feel like as women, we also only apply for jobs that we feel we are fully qualified for instead of jobs that you don't necessarily fit the exact criteria for? I always feel like I look for jobs where I know I already can do the job. But there are other jobs I could do as well, right? Like I could aim for something higher. I sometimes feel like I I limit myself because I think that I'm only going to be hired for the job that I can that I can do on paper. When in reality, you can. There's so many things that you are able to do. Like, do you ever feel like we limit ourselves as women? Absolutely, and I think that you're also pointing out to the gender gender differences. There's so many studies that talk about if like if there's a checklist of ten requirements, men sometimes can go. Yeah, we 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 have to at at least get eighty percent. 
Whereas it's like, right. okay, I got three. Good to go. I know. <laughs> I know. It's unbelievable. I mean, I just feel like sometimes, you know, I, I, I think because I've had people also reach out to me and say, hey, I think you'd be great for this job. And I'm like, well, I'm not qualified to do that. But you can learn the job, right? Like you have the skill set that's necessary to be able to pick up what your clients or what your organization needs, and you can find solutions to those problems. So you're you shouldn't just limit yourself to those ten, you know, the ten checklists and make sure you meet every single one of them. That's something I've also found that I've had to work on, like work on just sort of being outside my comfort zone and knowing that I can rise to the challenge, I guess. So how much of it do you think that is cultural? A lot of it. A lot of it is cultural. Speaking for myself, at least, you know, coming from an Indian American family, we immigrated to this country when I was six. I had to learn how to speak the language. I had to learn different cultures, you know, in terms of like, going to school with different types of people that I had initially gone to school with, like all of that, I think is such a change. And part of it coming from an Asian culture was to keep your head down and do a good job. And almost like you don't even want to stand out because you want to just sort of keep your head down and do a good job. And I think that's antithetical to like our profession now, right? Because it's celebrated when you sort of rise above the fray and you take chances. And I think that's hard to do coming from our culture, well, at least from my culture. I don't know if you feel the same way. Well, I'm Chinese American, originally from Hong Kong, came here when it was like maybe around 11. So I think from anthropological viewpoint, people that are like past like 12, it was usually have more of accent. So my youngest brother does not have an accent, but I do. Mm-hmm. So I'm super self-conscious about that. Even, I mean, I, I have a master's degree and I am right. smart, but I think that cultural, I'm going to call it a soundtrack and a narrative that actually sort of like sometimes a little bit belittling to our, ourselves. Mm-hmm. Exactly like you said, it's like, oh, I haven't met 110% of the requirement. Right. I cannot do this. And sometimes also as women too, because my mom and the women role models, uh, the women authority figures, my mom is pretty traditional. So a lot of things is what my dad said. My dad passed in 2017. So now she can do her own thing. And so right. she is now, she just turned like 77. We had a party for her and she was so embarrassed. And I don't know why. Like, I mean, why? Friends over there, she goes like, it was hilarious when she said this. I have like some of my friends there. Everybody's like getting her her gifts. And then we had her open it. She was like, why do you actually make a big deal out of this? Because I don't <laughs> want to, you know. And then, But she said something hilarious. She said, I don't know how to repay you guys. Add it to Ashley's <laughs> cap. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> I guess I owe a lot of people. Though. <laughs> I think sometimes is that inherent conflict is like I love my mom I know she's proud of me but sometimes she would like for example if someone nominated me to be on a committee or something like that she was like are you sure you want to do that you don't even have time right right, right. so why would you want to do that so right. I, I don't know how do you feel about that do you encounter this and how do you resolve that in your mind and just go forward? Because obviously I have to basically say, okay, got it, mom, got to go. I have to do this. I know what I'm doing. 
what's your personal experience on that to overcome that type of challenge? Right. I mean, I don't even know if mine is so much even instilled by my parents, but it's more even internal. Yeah. Yeah. Or just overall culturally sort of what I've had to overcome and kind of trying to get, like I said, again, get out of my comfort zone. And I think a lot of that has just come from having different experiences and meeting different people and sort of gaining more confidence to try different things and trying to figure out too where my strengths lie and what I can offer to say a a different organization if I want to be a part of a board or if I want to do something with my kids or whatever, like whatever type of organization it is, I think just figuring out these are the things that I can offer and the things that I'm offering have value. And I think getting confidence in that sort of opens you up to doing more of these types of activities that may be outside of your comfort zone. So I think that goes a lot into it. And Also having a support group of friends who really believe in you and encourage you. I think that also helps. I I mean, I have a group of friends that I've had since law school and we're sort of a sounding board to each other. We will text when we have new opportunities that come up within our careers or even new opportunities that come outside of that, like within organizations, just as a sounding board. And they always are encouraging, you know, they tell you that you can do it even if you don't know or believe that you yourself can accomplish those things. They know that you can. So I think having that sort of support group, whether it be friends or colleagues at work or what have you, I think having some group of people that you can sound off to, or even like what you said, having a mentor or having a sponsor, like those kinds of people, I think can really help you navigate the next step in your career, the next step that you want to take within an outside organization. Having people that actually challenge you is very important, in my opinion. I didn't used to like it, but I think that as I'm getting older, I'm finding that it's easier for me because your true friends and your the people that truly care for you uh, or about you is actually a great way, not only as a sounding board, but they can help you to navigate away from your blind spots. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that's super important. You mentioned you have two children. Is it boy or girl? So I have an older daughter. She just started high school this year and then a younger son and he started middle school this year. So that's sort of the age group that my kids are at now. Oh, I (laughs) see challenging in itself like they're it's funny young kids are challenging because all your time sort of goes to making sure they're fed properly and go to sleep properly and things like that but then when they're older they have different needs right they have then more social needs where you need to help them navigate their relationships and their schoolwork and their sports and their other activities like it's it's a lot so I am busy with with two kids What are some of the key lessons that you instill in your kids in terms of helping them grow their confidence and maybe serving as a role model for them? Can you give us a couple of examples? Something that I've tried to do with helping with their confidence is I have to sometimes even check myself, you know, sometimes I'll ask them or I'll think to myself, do you really want to try that? Do you really want to do that? Do you have time for that? But I'll check myself and say, okay, why don't you give it a shot and let's see how it goes. And then let's check in in a few weeks and see how that, you know, new activity or 
you know, new project that you're working on is going. So I think that's something I try to do is they can make the decision themselves. I'll give them a lot of autonomy in doing that, but then I'll check in again, you know, in terms of how they're doing emotionally, physically, everything with that decision that they've made. A lot of that goes into it. And then, you know, I'm trying to instill in them a love of reading, a love of looking outside of their own sort of bubble in terms of understanding that other people live different ways and like having that sort of acknowledgement as to what's going on in the world, I think also can help navigate sort of different types of situations. So those are some things that I try to do. So you utilize trust, but verify process. <laughs> trust, but verify, exactly. Exactly. A lot of trust, but, trust, but verify is a great way to put it. So I think letting them make decisions, you know, they learn from those, right? Like then if they decide they want to take on something. They've made that decision to do that. Like my, my son just started learning guitar. He wanted to start learning how to play the guitar. And he's the one who came to us and said, look, I really want to do this. So we said, okay, we'll get you a few lessons, see how it goes. You know, right now we'll rent the instrument. If you like it, we'll buy the instrument. And then, you know, he likes it. So we bought him an instrument. So like little things like that, I think give them a lot of autonomy in their decision-making and you you give them a lot of trust, but then yes, trust but verify. <laughs> Check in with them. I love the fact that you are like allowing that conversation to flow pretty freely. I mean, I'm sure that there are moments that you feel like, oh, you know, <laughs> but but yes. the fact that, you know, you just it was like, oh, I'm going to learn guitar. And you did not just go out and buy a guitar and I say, hey, you know, make sure that this is what you want because I've known enough people when money is not really an issue, especially when parents who are like really well off, sometimes, you know, material things become substitute. Then we become substituted uh, to like attention. Yeah, the pandemic was interesting for sure. Especially when the schools were closed, all of us were at home, right? For the first time, I think ever. I was very lucky in that my kids were pretty self-sufficient in terms of navigating the technical aspects of virtual school. So, you know, we didn't have those types of issues. Like they could figure out how to use the computer and they knew how to log into class. But it was kind of nice, actually, because we all had lunch together every day. So that was wonderful. Um, and I love that we had that year together, sort of, because it was the time when we really got to know each other very well, I think because everyone was home. In some ways, I treasure that time. I mean, I worry about, you know, the, the kids sort of mental social capacity during that time and, you know, what they maybe didn't learn in school having just virtual school. But at the same time, it was in a way nice for us to have that year together um, and that we were so close at that time. So yes, we survived the, the year together, <laughs> all being at home. Obviously, nobody wants to have the pandemic, but there was definitely right. certain blessing. I think that some of it is just bringing certain family uh, much closer together. So that part, right. it's um, the silver lining if we have to find one for the pandemic. Now, what are some of the things that you do to de-stress or help balance yourself from your, your job? It doesn't sound like as demanding as, you know, in like law firms, but, you know, it is still litigations and it's still right. Like, it's still litigation. It's, it's not, you know, it's not, not, I don't believe that your job will be kick walk. So what do you do to maintain mental wellness and just 
practicing self-care and self-love? So I think one of the things that's come about and from the pandemic too, is that I mostly telework. I telework four days a week. So I'm home a lot. And as a result of that, I end up just sitting at my desk all day and, you know, not getting out. But then my husband and I adopted a dog <laughs> during the pandemic, and which a lot of people I think did. So we started taking walks at lunch. And I think that has really helped my mental well-being, making sure I get up out of my desk every day and take a walk outside, get some fresh air. And it's just time that the two of us just chat about anything. We could talk about work or we could talk about the kids or we could talk about the weather or a movie we want to see. But it's time that him and I have together and we get some exercise and we get outside. And it's something that's, I think, really helped my well-being. I'm not a big exerciser, so <laughs> definitely not one of those people who works out every day. So I think just taking, you know, we take like a 40-minute walk and it's nice to take that break mentally and physically. And that gears me up for the afternoon. So it's something I look forward to every day. It's something that we do pretty much rain or shine. <laughs> Not as pleasant in the rain, but definitely lately with the wonderful weather we've been having, it's been really nice. And then, you know, I've been trying to start reading again. I had not read books in a while and I, I used to be in a book club, but that kind of fell apart. But during the pandemic, I re-upped my library subscription and like just started reading again. And that's been really wonderful because it gives you a mental break in the sense that I read about all kinds of things. A lot of it, it's fiction. So it's, it has nothing to do with the stuff I read for work. And it just gives me that sort of mental break that I need. So those are the two kinds of things that I think I've been doing lately a lot more of. What about you? What, have, what kind of steps do you take? Well, used to be a workaholic. I think now <laughs> I still work a lot. But yes. when you like what you do, because um, the thing is with VBG, I have mostly women and mm-hmm. um, I do have one guy and that is actually pursuing his master's degree and mm-hmm. um, in policy studies. So I think I do take the mentoring pretty seriously. It didn't start with that intention, but I find that I really enjoy it. I think it's maybe the educator, the intellectual and the educator in me. And so I have a couple of young women that I particularly really enjoy mentoring. Mentoring. And one of them is very artistic. So she drew like animals. And I mean, I I wrote a book. It's called Building a Leadership Habitat. And turned the whole team into animals. I asked them, what would you like to be? I so gave them choices and then asked them about the personality. So I actually got the chance to write But through that, I realized part of building a leadership habitat is to find out what your team and the people in your leadership team, the people that are working, because I have a little bit of autonomy. So I will try to match the tasks with certain skill sets and interests. So with the the artist, she's really good at illustration. So I was like, okay, I want to have like the lion, the owl, you know, all these things. So we did the the book, the first book together, but I also realized the time and have to pay, you know, so I have to was like, okay, this is beyond my budget. I cannot do that. So I'm learning that. But this year we are working on another book together. 
And so we're working on different modules. Mm -hmm. I love to read. And I also love listening to podcasts and anything mm -hmm. motivational. And I sort of have a test round. <laughs> so with the young one, so basically I wrote like scenarios and modules and mm -hmm. we started practicing voiceover during our mentoring session. I was like, here's the scenario to also help her with confidence in speaking. I know for myself, I didn't quite like my voice. So this is another funny story. So my year one, I applied for Tory Burch Foundation Fellowship. Uh -huh. And year two, I applied for a FedEx. I didn't get either one, but I learned a lot of important lessons. But when I had to do the elevator pitch, I decided to do both Tory Burch Foundation Fellowship. I did it in an animation. And I remember that I used a robotic voice to basically say whatever it is. And I had a former attorney who's really good friends, like, why is your voice a bot? I feel like, well, you know, because I don't like to hear my voice. And so sometimes that really limiting belief and the really disruptive narrative is something right. that I wanted to help them overcome before it becomes way too det detrimental. It's important right. to have someone believe in you, especially when you're young, because yes. you don't know how to believe in yourself. I mean, there are exceptions, obviously. There are people that are well, like, how are you so self-confident? But <laughs> I, I have a special place in my heart for people that are really shy mm -hmm. um, because I was like that. So I feel like that I was mentoring myself in like my younger self. So that brings me to my next question. If you have to go back in time and give yourself advice when you were young, what would mm -hmm. you tell your younger self? I think one thing I would have told my younger self is, and we've talked about this already, is to take more risk. As we've already established, I think both of us were pretty risk adverse growing up. And I just wish that when I had been younger, I had been more open to sort of failing and then learning. Like you said, you applied for those two fellowships and didn't get them. And you learned so many lessons from that. And I think sometimes, you know, I would limit myself thinking this is not something I would be able to accomplish or this is not something I would be able to get. And so I didn't apply for those opportunities. And I wish I had pushed myself to be open to failing more and be open to taking more risks and learning from those lessons, because I think there is so much that can be gained even from participating in the process, even if you don't attain that, you know, that end goal. And just by the fact that you've opened yourself up to applying for something and then opening yourself up to meeting those people that you interview with and whatever, like taking those steps, I think, and having those challenges can really bring you new opportunities that you wouldn't have had otherwise. So I think that's something I really kind of wish I could have instilled in myself younger I had my path in undergrad to go to medical school and that was the path. I mean, I did not deviate from that path. You know, I, all my extracurriculars, all, everything was geared towards that. And when that, that didn't happen, there were a lot of lessons learned, but then I, I, you know, I finally did find my path to where I am now. So, you know, I think there's a lot to be taken from that. I hope that in my own kids, I can instill in them you know, <laughs> to take those opportunities or to try at least for those opportunities. I think that's that's one of the hardest things to do when you're young and you're nervous about taking those risks. 
So I so, think one um, of the things that is important is maybe reframing. And failing is usually is so much more intimidating. And yes. it's like, oh my God, I failed. But um, I don't know if you have heard of a an author by the name uh, Simon Sinek. And he does have a podcast. It's called A Bit of Optimism. And mm. um, very much of an infinite thinker. And uh-huh. um, I think what he... What he's been really talking about is that like failing is such a strong word. So we would probably right. want to say falling because when you fall, oh, you can get ooh, back I up. Like that. Yeah, I, I really like, like that. I really like there are a couple of podcasts that I recommended to people. One is uh, Simon's and the other one is Adam Grant. Think again. He's a, a, a pen and I think he's a organizational psychologist. And I really love his work, too. And because it really does challenge your fundamental assumption. So sometimes it's like before I was super risk averse in certain mm-hmm. things. I think into personal thing, in professional wise, I think I was a little bit more when I go open, I would do the it's like mission impossible tasks, right? I would go do it right. and I would get it done. And that's how I build my confidence. But I think my risk averse is coming to per it actually applies more in my personal life I don't want to try that because oh my god what if I lose face on that and what if what would right. other people think of me you know who cares <laughs> <laughs> so, so, true. So, true. so I think sometimes we put ourselves in that uh, particular predicament well thank you so much for chatting with me yes, today thank you Ashley I learned so much about you and really <laughs> awesome things and I hope that you had a fun time chatting today Definitely. And so once again, thank you so much for accepting. See, that was not so risk averse for both of us. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true.